0: Hi, my name is Heather Falcone. I'm the CEO of Thermalvec Technology, a small privately owned family business in Orange, California. We do heat treating, brazing, chemical processing and specialty coatings, primarily for the aerospace and defense industries. And you're listening to From the Heart, presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting.
1: Thank you, Heather. It's great to see you today. I've been wanting to get you on this podcast for quite some time. So when we launched the podcast early this year, the whole idea was to talk with family-owned companies and leaders. and your story and the ThermalVac story is really, to me, it's fascinating. People may not think of, you know, the aerospace industry is fascinating, but then when you really dive down into the detail of it and hearing you share the story today, I think will be really great for our listeners. So it's nice to see you. How is, how are, first of all, let me just ask how the family and the company are doing through all of this crisis and things we were just kind of talking about before we hit record, but we'll do it again now.
0: Yeah, it's a little awkward, right? I just am a fan, Ed. You're born to do this. It's in your blood. It's just- Oh, thank you never stop this. I love every single episode so far. So much value there. Um, the family is safe. The family's healthy. Uh, we're grateful that uh, we're in an industry that has been, I won't say not affected by COVID, but, you know, we're, we're keep on keeping on. Everybody's still employed. We come to our jobs every day and, and we're grateful. We're blessed. Yeah.
1: So rather than saying this in the intro, I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll tease the intro by just asking you questions from the intro. So I was going to talk about how you're the female CEO of a male dominant company and industry. Um, What's it been like in the last few years? I know uh, one of the things I will brag about with with Heather is she has taken the company to 65% growth over the last four years, which Mm -hmm. is kind of unheard of in any company, let alone coming right into your role as the CEO of the company. Talk about your role, where you are in the family. Because what I'm hoping is that family businesses that are listening today will be inspired by the role you've taken and and the and the path you've taken to this point and what you're doing going forward. So where are you in the family and talk about that transition when when Dad, you know, figuratively speaking, yeah. tossed the keys to the coroner office to you, so to speak.
0: Literally though, literally. <laughs> awesome. I wish I'd filmed it.
1: Nice, really cool. <laughs> I was just thinking maybe it's just figuratively, but it's a literal thing for you.
0: No, right? no, just like hey, bye, and then he moved to a different. <laughs> he's just like nah, he's out in California. I'm an Arizona permanent resident now, so. Okay. Uh, I'm the oldest of four children in the Driscoll family. Um, I'm the only girl. I have three younger brothers, Sean and Shannon. My parents are Steve and Cheryl. And then there's me. Not sure how that whole thing was meant to go, but that is what it is. So, you know, being the oldest and having younger brothers, if you've got that kind of maternal thing going on from a pretty early age, there's, let's see, Shannon is not even, he he's almost 30 and I'm 38. So it's a big age gap. Okay. So he was like my baby, and that kind of translated into how we all work together now. You know, my dad originally started the business uh, in 1985, and it was supposed to be just a regular professionally family not family-run business. He did not want to have his family in the business, and then 17 years ago, I was like, hey, dad, I need a job.
1: <laughs> what if? Hmm. That's a thought. <laughs> nice.
0: And it was a fight. It was a big fight for a while because there's a perception out there that family owned businesses somehow are not valid or are less than or are not professional or not uh, well run or not serious. There's some sort of weird nebulous thing out there about family businesses. And yet literally the backbone of America is built on small family business. So once we decided that You know all of us were in and we're going to work in this crazy business that nobody's ever heard of you know my dad changed his tune to say okay now we're a professionally run family-owned business i like that so i agree with that concept you know you're there it's not a shareholder situation but you have shareholders you have your family but then you have the lives that you're individually responsible for as a result of the actions and decisions that you make as a family so you have a big extended family as a result of this.
1: Yeah, I see that a lot, and I, I love that point because I often think about you know I've worked in traditional companies most of my life on a couple different family companies. You know, I'm 56. I got a couple years here, Anya, but um, I've worked for a few different companies, some family-owned, some not, and I never really put that correlation together. Yeah, I, I have thought about it in the family business. Yeah, you're responsible for your your family, the extended families, but most family businesses, including yours, because I've come out and visited with you guys. I know your, your business a little bit and a lot of your people, they really do feel like, not only do they feel like they're part of your family, but you feel like they're part of your family. So is that, there's that extension that you may not feel at a Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 company. You're an employee, not that companies who get it don't understand that. There are companies that don't get it, obviously. Right. But um, yeah, I really, I like that that feeling. And you're right, the family business, going back to your earlier point, there is a perception sometimes that family owned mm-hmm. means small mom and pop or uh, right. second generation is not going to be interested. So why would I do business with them? Cause they're just going to be gone in 20 years or so. But mm-hmm. again, when a, when a great succession plan is put into place and there there are family members interested. It's a whole different story. So you're, you're early twenties at that time. You're fresh out of or about to finish Cal state Fullerton. Yes, Heather is That's a Cal it. state Fullerton Titan. Thank you. Yes, um, love love the Titan pride there. Um, yeah, where, where were you wrapped up at Cal State at that point when you had that conversation, or were you about to graduate and thinking, what am I going to do now? Or tell me that. I was still at I was still at Fullerton College actually, oh, okay. and then I had just
0: met my husband, and um, wham bam in a less than a year, I was married with a baby. Hmm. So um, some decisions had to. I had to be an adult. I was twenty. Yeah. 20- at twenty-three, you're probably just not supposed to be an adult yet. That was maybe could make a different choice there, but there's no yeah, I don't know
1: who's there. I don't know who said 18 was adult because it sure <laughs> as heck didn't hit me at 18.
0: Right. I could, all
1: I could do was vote. That's about the only thing I got at 18. That's
0: it. That's it. So I felt like I was in a limbo. So that's when I went to him. And I was like, hey dad, I've got I've got a husband, I've got a baby now. I should probably like take something seriously. So that's when I switched because my uh, original education was centered around biology and genetics, and I wanted wow. to. And I completely switched from all of that over to business. Pretty drastic change. And I had over 70 units invested in biology. And so it was literally starting over. Yeah. Um, but he said, Yeah, once, uh, go, go for business. Business is universal, business is a skill that you can use in any industry. And I said, Okay, let's do that. And then it kind of wove itself in. I was working part-time for the business um, while I was in school, which was great. You know, very flexible, of
1: course. One of yeah. the perks yeah. <laughs> yeah, I for think your it, dad. I think it was a Fullerton College chemistry class that took me from pre-med to business. Once I took chemistry, it's like, yeah, I'm not doing this for a living.
0: <laughs> yeah. And when you hit organic chemistry, you're like, mm, no, no I'm, I'm good. This is... Yeah. I don't need to know the final answer to, to Final Jeopardy every night. I, yeah, just
1: exactly. I'm okay with the first <laughs> round. Once I get to double and final, that's that's that can go to the doctors. So
0: exactly. you have that
1: conversation with your dad. You talk about, you know, maybe I'd like to come into the business. I've got this family mm-hmm. now. And it right. sounded like he was initially on board, you know, get the business degree. So take us through that mm-hmm. process. A lot of people listening today will... Be in that same situation. Maybe they've got young kids that are thinking about coming in mm-hmm. or maybe they are the younger child who or the 20-something right. that isn't quite sure. Can you take us through your process? of you finished school and then where you mm-hmm. went within the company and what you've done to get up to eventually being the CEO?
0: Right. Well, my dad never graduated college. Okay. Um, and I don't think that there's actually any of our family members that have graduated college. So, that was never, a, it, it's school of hard knocks. So when he said you're coming into the business, it was, you're going to learn from the ground up. You're going to start in a lower level position and you're going to do work. So there wasn't any nepotism. It was actually uh, reverse nepotism. He mm-hmm. was even harder on us as we came in, each of us. And so I started out just filing time cards and answering the phones. And just, thank you for calling thermalback This is Heather. How can I direct your call? Nice. Cool to this day, ingrained. <laughs> <laughs> you don't realize how many skills you learn from that sort of job until you know, you've know you done 17 years, and you're like, wow, look where I came from. So I went through HR and we had a consultant and then some full-time people and they were able, willing to teach me the ropes on the administrative side of things. And so I did that for a good solid 10 years, solid, just HR was my thing. I love people. I love compliance. Those two don't mix except for HR. Mm-hmm. So right, sure, I steer, sure. yeah, and HR as a business partner is a new concept now, it's a buzzword. But back then I just saw it as a way to treat our team members like family. You know, I wanted them to feel like they belonged and like they were part of something that mattered and that what they did contributed to literally people being you know, launched up onto the International Space Station. So HR was my home, my first love. And um, after that, it was kind of a syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) All of the tough things that people didn't necessarily want to deal with anymore, I took over.
1: Landed on your desk, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I'm a type A person, extremely aggressive. Ask anybody, they're going to be like, yeah, she never, 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 never stops, ever. (laughs) So, you know, just give me more, give me more.
1: Well, that (laughs) bodes well for one of your hobbies we're going to talk about here in a little bit, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not a hobby that normal people pick. So it no. just ways no. in into all of the Type A overachiever thing. So I started taking on some operational processes. Our specialty coating process was having trouble producing conforming hardware, and that specialty coating uh, goes on several missile programs. Of course, super, super important, critical, burn life for the base material C103 niobium. It's one of the more rare earth materials so a lot of expense a lot of time and you know I took that on and it was gangbusters and so I just I took over all of quality after that because like oh you fixed all the problems that's good so (laughs) in 2012 I became my first director position so I started in 2003 took all the way to 2012 to get into leadership so um I like to also throw that out there because they think, I, I'm saying a they, it's a euphemistic they, right? right? The curious, nebulous they. they. think that the family owned business, as soon as the kid wants to come in, they hand him a VP title and there's no no
1: dues paid. We and there pay- are there are a lot of those and I've worked for a couple of them. I, I like to tell people I've, I've worked for the good, the bad and the ugly. I worked for a family business where if you had the right last name, you were now an executive. I worked mm-hmm. for others that would only... We, you might have been there. We had Enterprise Run a car Larry Taylor, the CEO, speak at our yes. Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and, and um, they have family policies limiting the number of families, just like Tony mm-hmm. Simmons of Tabasco as well, no more mm-hmm. than three family businesses in a leadership role. So yeah, it can definitely, yes. to your point earlier, can be even harder because you're family. So yeah. Yeah, you're right in that the companies that do get it, those family businesses like ThermalVac, they get it. No, mm-hmm. that you don't just, I mean, case in point, 2003 to 2012, before having mm-hmm. a leadership role. So yeah you, to, yeah, you had to pay your dues. Almost
0: a decade in. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was necessary because the nature of what we do is so complex and highly technical and is a literal life and death situation um, to enable our way of life and to prevent death. You have to know what you're doing. And yeah. frankly, you can't just hand that over to some kid just because their last name was uh, lining up. So... I appreciate that my dad was very strong about keeping his kids out of leadership until they had proven themselves and gotten the skills and experience to make good decisions and be good stewards for the company.
1: What are some of the things that you love most about working with your family?
0: <laughs> I love <laughs> that I get to see them every day, and they're going to think that's hokey, and they're going to be like, "No, hell, lied on the from the heart podcast. You lied. You hate us." No, I love. Nice. We, we still fight like brothers and sisters that are 12 or 13 years old. Because you are. We are. Yeah. And I come in there and I smack him in the shoulder or I tell him he's an idiot. And <laughs> they laugh. And I love d- having that every single day, uh, especially right now, because we're so separated with COVID. Right. You know? uh, and I get to work with my family. So I don't ha- I get to see them face to face every single day. And they bring their children and our team members bring their children and I appreciate that so so much. That that isolation key is just not not there for us. Plus, I, I just like hanging with the guys. I've always been kind of a guys gal. Yeah. Um, having three brothers is probably a good thing that I. But uh, my brother looks great in a dress and high heels. He'll never say that, but he does. I've got the
1: pictures. Well, to I was going to say we could put that picture as a little <laughs> thumbnail on the YouTube for this, but I think he might have an issue with that. So, and we're not that kind of show, you know. We're not. We're not crossing over into any crossing over. You know what I mean? So yeah, <laughs> that's great. I love it. You, um, I mentioned that you have some hobbies, and I want to go there in a minute. But before I do, tell us a little bit more about. Like your clientele, I know it's aerospace. Mm-hmm. I know life and death, as you alluded to, um, right. without like trade secrets and giving away too much. You yeah. know, of course, specifically who, what's your clientele? What's what are the products? So I know some mm-hmm. of our clients. You know, we make the hoses that run from here to here. Or we make the, you know, we have a, a company that makes the machines that makes tortilla chips. And so, you mm-hmm. know, every time you eat that chip, oh, this was made on one of my clients' machines in La Habra. So, what would we as, as consumers recognize?
0: Uh, it, it's a it, it's a a question that's asked a lot, and it's also a really tough answer. So we literally enable our way of life. So if you picked up a pen right now to take notes and it clicked, that's Good. a result of what that's thermal back case. does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we heat treat the springs that are inside of that to make them springy, more springy, springy. So we take and transform the characteristics of primarily metal, but we do other materials as well. But um, when I do the analogy, it seems to make the most sense when I describe us as a dry cleaner. So dry cleaners do not manufacture or design shirts and pants, et cetera. They take your shirts, your pants, your socks, your whatever you're having dry clean, they perform a service to it, and they give you back amazing products that you're able to use for whatever your application is. We're a dry cleaner, so we don't have any product other than us. We are a service So the customer gives us their metal. We do stuff to it, either heat treat, braise it, coat it, plate it, and then we give it back to them and they use it in their end application. And we have customers that are, uh, shall remain nameless, but they like to put cars in space. Hmm. And um, they like to, uh, let's see, probably your thermostat on the wall of your house. And uh, I mean, any big name, aerospace prime, uh we have worked with and it's not necessarily a direct relationship because those guys are enormous but um you know i have a photo of ted cruz right there because he's the chair of the uh uh, essentially space exploration in the house so i spend a lot of time with nasa's and a lot of time with jpl and uh our customers are are people that are living on the tech edge Anything from respirators saving lives to, you know, keeping people alive out of our atmosphere. That's that's what we do. We provide that service.
1: So as we were going through it, well, this is the COVID section of the interview for a moment now, because every every interview, and I, and I keep saying 1920. But just That's what still, it feels I, like. I still can't, I know it really does. It feels like we've gone backwards, and I still can't believe we're in the 2020s now. But mm-hmm. So the impact of COVID, let's talk a couple of ways. First of all, um, you mentioned respirator, so obviously, you know, I think I go to ventilator and so forth. But were you involved in any of that? I know for a time there was a need for everybody was making hand sanitizer and everybody was trying to be a component in ventilators and so forth. What was your role in that, or what exactly. happened, and it continues to be?
0: Well, when President Trump chose to activate the D system, you know, the Defense Prioritization Allocation System. So basically, he said free reign; anybody can now pivot to providing these life-saving products. And a lot of our customers um, were in industries that were very much affected by COVID, primarily commercial aerospace. When there's no more Boeing, you don't have anything to do, why don't you make ventilators instead? Yeah. Um, or if you did oil and gas exploration, you're probably not doing a whole lot right now. So pivot towards you know medical devices. So, and about um, 10% of our total business is medical devices. I actually have one of the medical devices in my own body that we heat treated. So we we were not new to that game, but we got to play a part in it with a cus- couple of high-level aerospace primes and uh, other uh, industry commercial aerospace industry primes that pivoted their business almost overnight to medical products. Um, without getting into too much detail, yes, we're working on respirators, yes, we're working on ventilators, yes, we're working on um, arthroscopic camera bodies. Uh, we do staples, clips, uh, Suture cutters, all of that stuff. So
1: that's pretty cool because I'm sure you have a sense of pride when you see a product, or in your case, in your body when you feel a product. Or <laughs> look at the thermostat on the wall or something. It, I, I know I, as a, as just an outsider working with you know dozens and dozens of family-owned companies now, kind of around the world because of what we're in with COVID, um, we've been able to reach more families because we're sitting right here in our family rooms on Zoom but mm-hmm. there's that pride when I drive by a building and I know that one of my companies built it, or when I go to a restaurant and I know it's that family restaurant, or now when I see some of these things that you're talking about, I'm going to feel that thermal back pride. So that is one of my favorite, probably other than the people, that's my favorite thing about what I get to do. It's just really the diversity of, of what people do. So thank you mm-hmm. for all the, all the wonderful things that you're doing and the And in a a roundabout way and then sometimes in a very direct way, the lives that you may be impacting and even saving. So that's pretty Mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you. So what, what have you taken out of this, this year? We, March, you know, most of us came home. I did. Um, you're working, obviously, Mm -hmm. and we're all working. It's just where we're working is the question. Right. Um, what lessons have you personally, and would you say ThermalVac has picked up from this that you hope sticks with you when this is a thing Mm -hmm. of the past?
0: The personal ability to be resilient has just amazed me. You know, people have lost their homes. They've lost family members. They've lost the ability to work. They've lost so much loss. And yet you see these pockets of humanity that are just coming together for to do amazing things. Our team is like that, too. You know, they take care of each other. Even though they might be on reduced work hours or they may have to to work overtime, sixty hours. They're they're reaching out to each other. They bring each other lunch. It, they you know call each other. it just seeing the human resiliency come into play and how much we are actually able to take on and create out of heartbreak and heartache and tragedy. We're we're the energizer bunny, right? The mm-hmm. humans are are never are never give uppers.
1: Yeah.
0: I've been able to see that. In so many different forms, especially with our team, you know, one of our values actually is never give up. And it looks like when you come to work every day and your son or daughter is at home because they can't go to school, it means that we have a conversation and you go home and you take care of your family and they want to be here because they feel like they're letting us down. And we're like, no, (laughs) So getting them to understand that, yes, what you do is important. Yes, we love you. Yes, you're vital to us, but also you have to take care of yourself. And allowing for that space, making pivots so that people are available to take care of uh, all of these circumstances that we have been, had to deal with during this COVID stuff. I, you know, we're a business that's open to have people in it, so we're not remote workers. We're not full of knowledge workers. We're full of a bunch of blue collar folks that just, you know, like to work with metal.
1: You're making stuff, yeah, or you're or you're treating stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, we're 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 hands on. Yeah, so we're we're not. Um, we're not just sitting behind a Zoom screen, we're making it real for folks, you know, making sure they have the time to educate their kids and making sure that they have time to take care of parents that can't shop themselves because they can't literally leave their house. So I'm most grateful for that change, the ability to have that be so visible, because a lot of that we just consider human suffering or the human condition, but really it's, it's, it's a human identifier, it's a distinguisher. It's it's a plus. We should put that on the resume as a
1: plus. Absolutely, yeah. And (laughs) and, you know, we've we've talked a lot, you and I and others, uh, recently about how, with all of the unrest and all the things going on in our society right now, there's so much division. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe if we weren't in a in an election year, maybe it would be a different thing, and that's probably Mm -hmm. the case. But I also have seen that as a as a humanity. In many ways, we are coming together. We're all understanding. We're all a little bit more forgiving. And you Mm -hmm. know, when when I, I. was on a, I don't remember which call it was because I'm on Zoom Zoom all day long. I am one of those that's, I'm not a blue car or hands-on guy. I'm a, and I don't know if I'm a knowledge worker either. I just happen to be a guy who gets to keep his job sitting here on Zoom talking to people, which is pretty cool. Right on. See people walking around in the background. You see animals jumping on laps. You have, hey, hang on a second, I got a baby crying, or what have you. And I think that we're all just in a point where it's kind of cool. I feel like I'm getting to know people better because like I'm seeing the pictures behind your up on your wall now. And if I really stopped right. and started I, and asked you to tell me the story behind each. And there have been times when I've done that. Hey, some pick up something in your room and bring it back and do almost like a show and tell. And I've seen and been on some of those. I love that. Yeah, so I mentioned that you went to Cal State Fullerton. Does anything, and, and since since college education in your family isn't, hasn't been the highest priority as it has with maybe some others, but for you it is and was. Um, any big experiences or this is, uh, you know, not the plug for Cal State by any stretch, but you know, it's, it looks a little different today. I drove by campus a couple days ago on a, on a middle of a weekday and there's nobody there, which is very right. strange. But any, any takeaways or memories or things that stand out from your time uh, on campus at Cal State Fullerton?
0: My best memory, and I wish I could remember the context and it's, it's terrible, but I, I went to see um, the performing arts folks do Glenn Miller all night. And I'm probably gosh, three or four years ago now. And as an alumni, we get to get invites to all of this cool stuff and going and listening to the chamber play Glenn Miller, which takes me back to um, my grandparents and the first cruise they took me on was a big band cruise. And uh, there's so much talent at CSUF for you know, just chock full of, and I love the amount of adult learners that are involved with Cal State Fullerton. Um, so I actually was one of them. I wasn't, you know, a straight out of high school four year degree person. It took me a long, 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 long time. And it was a part time experience. And mm-hmm. I think probably that uh, takeaway as well. They're very inclusive of adult learners and it wasn't, I never felt alone or left out because I wasn't a 21-year-old uh, senior.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the same way. I graduated from college at 20, 27, mm-hmm. not Cal State Fullerton, but I was 27. I, I took the, I took the get married early, have a family route as well, right. and, and definitely took my time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's great. And I've noticed that too when I'm on campus, how uh, in the classes that we have, and, um, you know, I get to team teach a couple of classes here and there, and how many adults and not the 18-year-olds are adults kind of to our point earlier yeah you're technically an adult but you're not really until you've kind of been through it a little bit so yeah that definitely is a uh, an important f- aspect of Cal State Fullerton As we get that you know we have lives and families and jobs and everything else and and we we tend to be pretty understanding of that
0: mm-hmm. very inclusive yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, now you're involved with Vistage or you have been can you talk about yes. your experience with Vistage?
0: Oh. Yeah, my, oh gosh, my dad has been in Vistage for 20 years. I'm 35, so or 38. We said, so I did my first set of goals coming out of high school with my dad's Vistage chair.
1: Wow,
0: <laughs> and he's still his same Vistage chair. My dad's retired from Vistage now, I sit in his uh seat in the Vistage group. Um, But the value of Vistage, it changed my dad from uh, this small, if you had to call it mom and pop, that's what he believed it was. It changed him into a a professional, growing, invested business. And as soon as he got um, Vistage involved, it changed his leadership style entirely on its head. You know, he was a doer. And that's what most entrepreneurs are. They've got that uh, crow changing the shiny object syndrome. And that's what he was, but it it was distracting, right? He wasn't able to focus. So Vistage helped really hone that in and focus his energy into being less entrepreneurial, more leadership oriented. Here's how you grow your team. Here's how you invest smart. Here's how you make sure you have enough money to last for the next year and you don't have to worry about it falling through the mail slot. And um, that transformation was, uh, was so cool to watch because they don't just deal with you as a person in business. It's a whole person type of game. So while he's trying to grow himself as a leader, he's growing himself as a father. So 20 years ago, you know, he was not newly sober, but um, going through a divorce and essentially life transitioning Mm -hmm. all at one time. And it made him a better better father because it taught him how to have that emotional intelligence and how to just be aware of how you're showing up for your kids and for your team. And he kind of, brought Vistage into our family. So each one of us, all of the siblings have met with Bob. His name's Bob, Bob Dabica. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bob, plug for Vistage, <laughs> Love Bob, yeah. I, I owe it all to Vistage. There's <laughs> Bob's plug. Um, you know, we've each had the chance to sit with Bob and develop our, our goals and our, our tenure plan and be a part of, you know, the Vistage concepts. And I've been in Vistage myself since 2012 when I took on a director role Uh, So I transitioned from the key executive group to the chief executive group uh, last year. Well, a year and a half ago now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great organization. We, we actually, for those that don't know what Vistage is, it's, it's peer groups, it's CEOs, like you said, key executives who might be leaders moving up within the organization or the key executive, like the the CEO uh, meeting in small peer groups. And, and, um, there's more to it than that. And we're not going to turn this into a commercial for Vistage, but I'm happy to tell people about it because I love it. But at the Center for Family Business, we pattern ourselves after that model quite a bit as well. We we love the peer group um, method. We, we think that while we do a lot of great workshops and things for families, I really think the value is in the smaller groups. So our mm-hmm. churches have you get into small groups too. And so when you can start having discussion about the things that you're learning right. in workshops or, or sermons or wherever you're learning, whatever the, whatever the, the uh, the medium might be. That's a great organization. <clears throat> All right, so this is where I get to shift into your hobby. So, <laughs> okay. the, fir- the first thing on oh. my bullet points of things that you are, and I'm not gonna say that you do, because I think you don't just do triathlons. You are a triathlete. Talk about how that started. How does how does one? I my one of my favorite jokes is that, and I've shared this on the podcast before, so you've probably heard it. They say that running adds ten years to your life, but what they don't tell you is you're spending those ten years running. So how do, you, how do you go? How do you go into? I mean, my wife has done, and I've actually even done a couple of small ones, like the the 150 meter swim followed by a 10 mile bike ride, and then a three mile in my case walk. Which for others, it's running. How do you uh, first think? Wow, that's something I want to do. What was the first? What What's your natural? Are you a natural biker, natural runner, natural swimmer, or none of the above? And you're eager to hear zero how those. Zero of those. Wow. Zero
0: of those things. I well, am But
1: of course, to. you're going to be a triathlete, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's only logical. Yeah. Well, you you and I share uh, a similar path in that we have weight loss stories. Um, so it started out of there in 2008. I was um, 275 pounds. I would given birth to two kids within two and a half years, and generally wasn't taking care of myself, and uh, that wasn't working out. And I was starting to have some health issues, and. I was really not excited to be not even 30 yet and maybe pre-diabetic and having some of that show up and it just, I was not having it. So being the crazy overachiever that I am, it was New Year's Eve and I may or may not have been, you know, slightly inebriated, not sure, I'll I'll deny it.
1: There you go.
0: Um, And somehow I woke up on New Year's Day 2009 and I had signed up for a triathlon. (laughs) <laughs> I had the receipt wow. in my email and I said, What the heck was I thinking? I don't
1: Sure that's how you said it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: probably probably not. Yeah. Along with my headache and, you know, all of that. But um I had signed up for a sprint similar to what you had talked about. It was, I think, a 12-mile bike, a 5k run, and you know, 250 yard swim, something like that. It was out at Lake Paris. So I was gonna grow a third eye while I was at it. You know,
1: yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I woke up that next morning and I was like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I don't know how to ride a bike. Now what? Swim, bike, run? What? I hadn't swam since high school when I was in swimming and water polo. So I was like, "Okay, I could do I could do swimming. You know, yeah. that's a thing. Wasn't good at it. Very slow. I'm, you know, more of a whale, I guess, for on the swim front. <laughs> um, was not a runner. Lo- hated, loathed, and despised running. And uh, hadn't ridden a bike." in my memory that I can recall. Probably had bikes for the driveway, but.
1: Yeah, when you were eight, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I was also 275 pounds. And I was like, what am I going to do? So I went and signed up for 24 uh, Hour Fitness. They had a cycle class on New Year's Day. It was, uh, you know, New Year, new you. And I went in. Yeah, of course. Like, Okay, this bike I can't fall off of. Yeah. That first like it doesn't go anywhere. I don't have to be scared. So I sat in that. And uh, the teacher, the instructor was Carrie Nocella, who uh, is the director for, I think she's business development for Disney. I'm still very close friends with her. Um, And she was my first instructor, my first class. And she was so welcoming. She said, here, let me get you all set up. And after one class, I was hooked. Spain class or whatever, you know, you want to call it. I went five days in a row, and by that time, I had to go to the doctor because I thought I broke my butt. I mean, you just don't (laughs) realize that that's a side effect. Nobody told me that one. Yeah. So (laughs) I had from January 1st until the middle of April when the triathlon was. So in a four-month time period, I lost almost 40 pounds. Nice. And I learned how to ride a bike, bought a bike, and I started to walk. Because similar to you, Ed, I'm not a runner. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I do the truffle shuffle. I <laughs> smile and wave and kiss the babies. I'm getting my money's worth for That's my right. fee.
1: Yeah, you're doing this in 33 minutes. I'm using the whole <laughs> hour. Yeah, I'm getting yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, we're we getting value. So I barely made it through. I had to buy a wets or, or I rented a wetsuit because I was pretty large and they don't really cater to that size group in wetsuits. And it just was very uncomfortable. So I chafed underneath my arms and. You know, it could have turned out to be a really negative experience, but then I crossed that finish line and I wound up getting first place for this group called the Clydesdales. (laughs) So in triathlon, you have the Clydesdale Athena category and then the men they call Clydesdale and they call the women Athena. And you have to be over a certain weight in order to be in that category. (laughs) I didn't sign up for that category, they put me in it.
1: Of course, yeah.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) they show up with this medal, put it around my neck and I'm like, all right, I can do this again
1: type A personality kick, kicking right in there. Most people would have seen that they registered for this when they had had one too many drinks and they'd have said, oh, I just did that and I wasn't thinking, but no, you, you did it even though you didn't remember doing it. It's like, all right, look, well, I signed up for it, I gotta do it, I love it. That's a great great personality trait to have as a leader by all means, because now it's like, if you make a commitment, it's, it's done. You're know, one of those personality types that you'll know, consider it done, totally yeah. applies. So people don't have to ask you twice. That's awesome. So how have how have so so continue? I want to hear more about the triathlete journey or the Ironman journey, and then I want to take that into your your job because I know there's an impact in your in your work. There's probably in becoming an executive in the business about 2012 Mm -hmm. with your life as a triathlete. There has to be
0: that. Yeah, in 2012 is when I attempted my first Ironman. Mm Yeah, take on a new position. And you know what you should definitely add to that? A giant triathlon, You know, swim 2.4 miles, bike 112, and then do a full marathon. You should definitely do that when you're taking on a new job. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So we went from 2009, and then I, I started working my way up into triathlon. I wasn't sure. First of all, I don't like being bad at things.
1: It's very- I'm, nice. I'm picking up on that, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I got a coach. I got an expensive bike. I spent a bunch of money and I'm training and I joined a, a triathlete group and um, Tri Lavie, who I love to this day. Shout out to all of my Tri La ladies, uh, Coach Martha. So um, once I joined that team, they, as a group of women, it's a women-only triathlon group, they elevate and it's just so natural. It's like peer pressure, but you don't ever feel it. And they're like, oh, hey, I signed up for a half Ironman. And you're like, Oh my gosh, that this sounds like so much fun. And then you sign up for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, my first half Iron Man was down in San Diego. It was the ocean side uh, 70.3, uh, extremely difficult race. I don't actually recommend it for first time 70.3. Uh, you're swimming literally out in the ocean and it's cold. They used to hold it in February. I think they actually held it towards the end of the season now. but on the day that I did the race, the water was in the low fifties. And yeah, it's, it, it was a little chilly. Yeah. It was a little chilly. I got three flats during that race. Two in the first 20 miles and the third, just as I was coasting down trying to finish. So I only carried three spare tubes. Thank goodness. I didn't have a fourth. Yeah. I was the last biker to make the cutoff. So they have the sagging wagon. I don't know how familiar you are with, with
1: triath. Mm-hmm. They
0: have a little car that rides behind the last person that's going to, you know, mathematically make the uh, cutoffs uh, of the maximum time they allow you before they have to open up the streets again. I was that person. Hmm. I had the little car with the little beacon on the top and they're all cheering me. And I'm like, shut up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been that person being told or telling them shut up
0: right? So then I get off my bike and I'm like, oh crap, man, I got to do a half marathon and I'm already the last one on the cutoff. There's no way I'm going to make the cutoff, the cutoff, the cutoff, the cutoff. So much stress. Hmm. So much stress. So I get past the first cutoff, the 5k. I get past the second cutoff, the 10k. I get past the 15k cutoff and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm home free. I can make this. I can make this. And then my knee, little, I did not know this, but uh, I had a knee injury and I messed it up during that race. Um, It had to do with my IT band and the, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I have little bone spurs that grow inside of my knee. Mm -hmm. I needed to shave all those off. So I'm in pain, I'm popping Advil like they're, you know, chiclets and I don't even know what day it is and I'm dehydrated and and, uh, yeah, it was bad news. And then all of a sudden, I approached this group of students that were doing for uh, volunteer hours. They were manning one of the aid tables, and they were starting to pack everything up, and they're like, there's one more. Nice. And they just broke into cheers, and they literally unhooked their giant balloon arch that they had made, unhooked it, and all of them, Rocky Balboa style, went behind me with this balloon arch, chanting, Heather, Heather. Wow. With me to the finish line, they ran the whole last mile with me, and I crossed the finish line 12 minutes before the cutoff.
1: Nice, good for you. That's awesome.
0: After that, I was like, "Okay, it's on. Let's go. Let's go." And then I wound up doing uh, five five half Ironmans and ran two full marathons. I did 27 races in 12 months. Let's just
1: wow. Yeah, you. Okay, you, you make type A's look like type B's.
0: So,
1: <laughs> you got to slow down a little bit, Heather. So I have oh, one. Oh, I
0: did. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead, please. No, I was
1: going to say, I have one tiny story in that same area. So years ago, and they probably still do it, but for about three or four years in a row, my wife and I did what they call Tin Man, which is that swim 150 yes. meters in the pool, you get out of the pool, and then it's not like the timing doesn't start when you start swimming because everybody's timed, and then you stop, you dry off, and you get... I think the next thing is um, I think the next thing is the run. And
0: mm-hmm. then after
1: that it's ten mile bike ride. Yeah, it is, because the bike ride's dead last. So I'm I've done I've done the swim, I've done the the five K, I've done the bike, I'm coming back, I got like a half a mile to go until I'm done. And I'm probably the guy they they've probably already cleaned up and gone home and I'm riding back to an empty parking lot is what I'm thinking. And I was somewhat accurate on that, but um, <laughs> I'm pedaling <clears throat> along and I can hear the music at the finish line. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm getting pretty close. And these three little punk 12-year-old kids on their Schwinn bikes pedal up next to me. And I noticed they have numbers on, so they're part of this race too. I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? You guys doing great? They're like, yeah, we're doing great. We're doing great. Our dad just said, go out there and beat 88, beat 88. I'm like, great. Well, hey, good luck you on that. you know. And so I'm pedaling along thinking, what do they mean by beat 88? And I go down to get the water bottle out of the bottom of you know, my bike, and I look down, and my number is 88. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dad told him, just go beat that guy. <laughs> so that's when I realized, you know, maybe I should stick with golf. So,
0: you know, I, I love golf too.
1: Yeah.
0: It's you, you out off the couch doing something. I am all for that. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> me too. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. We always are looking for, especially now, you need mm-hmm. to get outside and do stuff. So, yes. so talk to me. There's a couple of things you're involved with. Um, excuse me, the voices, acting up this afternoon, green and growing, I know what that those terms mean, but talk to me about that term and what that organization is and what you do there.
0: Um, It's just a, a terminology that I use. It came out of Vistage. My dad used it. You can either be green and growing or you can be ripe and rotting. So I choose to be green and growing. If you are done learning, if you're done uh, wanting to be a part of making people better, that's cool. You can be ripe and rotting, but um, at ThermalVac, we only subscribe to being green and growing. Um, And it's what we fashion all of our values after. We're not complacent. We are always trying to get better uh, as a whole and individually. So... um, not so much as an, uh, an organization, but I do have I do apply that to being a part of Chrysalis. Um, that
1: was where I was going next, so good good segue.
0: So, <laughs> speaking of green and growing, uh, Orange County is in a severe workforce development kind of hiatus with um, Disneyland being shut down and a couple of other major employers just not being able to to employ people right now. So, Chrysalis is an organization that takes folks that have experienced um, Homelessness, extreme poverty, um, the criminal justice system, addiction, essentially, folks that need a second chance. And it gives them the tools and resources to become a a productive member and contributing ultimately with the goal of them being self sufficient on their own with housing and uh, a job. So I heard of Chrysalis from Carrie, one of my good friends, and I wanted to be a part of it because ThermalVac has always been a second chance employer is an alcoholic that's been sober for over 30 years. Um, One, two, three. Mm, 75% of our executive team has experience in addiction, some of them in homelessness, and almost all of them in extreme poverty. So we had no idea Chrysalis was out there, but we already embodied everything that we wanted to bring in from Chrysalis clients. So they've had a tough time during COVID because they. They uh, thrive on face-to-face interaction to be able to serve these clients, primarily because they're homeless. They need a place to come to get clean clothes and to get bus passes and access to services and get training and resume help. But uh, Chrysalis has been able to pivot to provide a a lot of those services uh, remotely and to even provide cell phones and computer access so that they can still, you know, get involved and get the services that they need. And since Orange County Workforce Development, I don't think that's on anybody's... uh,
1: Not on the radar right now, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just not on the radar. And here's this whole untapped workforce that is ready and willing and able. The only thing that's stopping them is the people that don't wanna listen to their stories and don't wanna give them that second chance. That's why we started the Working for 100 campaign. We're like, we're gonna put 100 people in 100 jobs in 100 days and we're gonna raise 100K. That's nice round numbers. It's gonna bring awareness to Orange County. This is not an LA thing. This is only Orange County. We are serving to uh, to bring all of those folks that we see on the side of the road or on the river trail or at the gas station. We can hand them a card that says, hey, come talk to Chrysalis. We can help with all of that. And so now, I don't know how to stop or say no or anything other than be fully involved. I'm the Orange County Advisory Council Chair. Uh, for this year, trying to uh, make sure that we get the good word of chrysalis out to everyone so that they can be involved.
1: And speaking of which, how do we get involved?
0: You can get involved in a lot of different ways. Obviously, give us money.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's Yeah, money talks, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's so interesting because in all of our council meetings, everyone talks very um, professionally. Well, how do we make the ask? And I was like, why don't we just ask them for some money? You know, $5 anything. Yeah, They can donate to um, change.org slash 100 and um, any, doll, any dollar amount. We're looking for, it takes about $2,500 to sponsor one Chrysalis client all the way through the training program and get them into a gainful employment. So that's kind of our targeted dollar amount. We're at about halfway to our goal. Um, so if you wanted to help us monetarily, that's the way to do it, or get involved. We are currently searching for new Orange County Advisory Council team members, people that want to be involved in making a difference in people's lives every single day, getting them back to self-sufficiency. So please reach out to me if you're in, at all interested in knowing more about what we do for OCAC. Essentially, it's taking advantages of uh, our networking, our experience, our ability to get the word out, um, and our passion to help all these folks, you know, get involved in life again. So, um, and also we have volunteer options. So if you want to donate your time, if you're a great resume writer, um, if you're a great public speaker, if you have any experience in the legal side of things, uh, negotiating dismissal cases and, and things like that, um, we can use you. It's a great skill set to be able to offer to a community that desperately needs your help and is very underserved, especially in Orange County.
1: So it's truly the time, talent, treasure, touch, even type of thing. You're, you're not just looking for checks. Obviously, yeah, money does help. But time yeah, you Talent, need treasure. Yeah. You, you should,
0: should want... put that on a bumper sticker.
1: And... Ah, well, I'd love to say I, I, I coined that, but I hear it every day where I go and the, the circle that I get to, to live in. And Ken Blanchard, who spoke at our Hall of Fame a few years ago, added. Yeah, it's touch. That touch is just kind of mm-hmm. that, that interaction, that face to face, that yes. lets them let them know you're there. And I think probably one of the values that you offer more than anything is that's a that's a society. And I, you know, I've got some experience with that in family and friends and others too. That the big deal to them is they don't feel like people see them, and yes. just letting them know that you know they're there. That's 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 nine tenths of the battle probably.
0: Yes, so, getting past the stigma of them not being worth literally anything. You know? Yeah or that they are trying to be that way or that they say no to the resources or it, for some reason they don't want help. It's such a small portion of, of the actual folks out there. And it, it, you're exactly right, bringing a voice to those yeah. and getting past those stigmas and uh, rumors and it, everyone has a story and everyone is worth yeah. it.
1: And I'm not done. I got a couple more questions, but before I go to those, how do, they, how do, how do people reach you? If they, if they feel, if something triggered inside their heart as they were hearing you talk right now about this and what this is all about, um, how should they go about reaching you? And we'll put this in our notes for the podcast, but when we blast this out, we'll put that in there as well. What's the best way to get in touch with you or the organization? Absolutely.
0: Um, I am on LinkedIn uh, under Heather Facone. You can't miss me. I have a blue haired Mohawk.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. If you're uh, watching, <laughs> you see it. If you're listening you now see it. Yeah.
0: yeah so if you find the blue haired chick, that's me. And uh, please reach out. Uh, my email address is heatheratthermalvac.com. Well, you can reach me uh, through our website, thermalvac.com. I'm on all social media. So Instagram, I'm cycle trigal. Right?
1: Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Another organization that you're a big part of, and this one sings to me big time because of what I get to do for a living. My mom um, passed about three and a half years ago. She was the director of the Women's Opportunity Center at, or WOC, mm-hmm. WOC, at UC Irvine for a number of years. Um, so I grew up in a home where women's opportunities were truly what we talked about in my home. I'm the youngest of five kids, two older sisters, everybody went to college. Um mm-hmm and opportunities primarily for women were really what we talked about at the dinner table because in the early 70s and so forth as i was growing up it was a to this day still in many industries very male dominated and so i had i I just i think i just grew up with that love and passion for seeing women thrive in leadership roles so i love what you're doing so you're involved in an organization called women leaders and family enterprise tell me about that w life w life yes
0: first of all ed I'm so grateful to your mom for exposing you and to your older sisters for making sure that uh, you know, the value of women in leadership is just a part of your family. That's so awesome that you had that. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So I got involved in W Life mainly because I am a very loud person with a lot of opinions and uh, I happen to work in family business and I happen to be a woman. Those all coincided in meeting uh, a wonderful woman named Jean Santos, who's uh, the, one of the co-founders of W Life. And um, she wanted me to be a part of this groundbreaking research that they were doing. And they were trying to find out what this effect was of women leaders in family businesses. They couldn't figure out, you know, they had some strange numbers and none of them added up because it basically said women leaders in family businesses, they kick butt and they don't even know it or recognize it or think that they're any good at it. So they were trying to get those two to marry up and it just wasn't happening. So they did this research study. And last year, um, I got to speak on the panel at uh, UCLA at the Steinbeck Family Business Center and um, talking about the research. Essentially, women leaders, we can kind of uh, generalize this to most industries. Um, Other than tech, they tend to be embracing it a, a little bit differently. But women leaders in family or regular enterprises are largely uh, undervalued, underpaid, and they don't think that they're even worth being in their position. They have a lot of imposter syndrome going on. So speaking to how that all plays out um, through the research and trying to get this underserved community of women leaders, they feel alone. They feel Uh, Like they don't belong. They feel like they don't have any support. They feel like they've been marginalized. They feel like they have to work extra hard to demonstrate their skills, knowledge and ability, they get more and more degrees. So W Life kind of hatched out of that and in addition to sponsoring, um, you know, groundbreaking research. They also are developing a network for women leaders and family enterprises so that they have that sounding board similar to the stage or cal state voltage center for family business this one is focused on the women leaders we're not saying that men can't play we're inclusive uh, at the panel last uh, last year there were more men than there were women and they knew what they were walking into so we sure. encourage our gentlemen that work with us every single day to examine their unconscious bias and to embrace the possibility of change and um, that's what w Life is about. We've got a, a seminar coming up uh, soon here on November 5th that starts at 530 um, and it's going to be discussing this year's research which focused on the other family members. So we talked to the women last year, the actual women leaders. This is the generation that is working either for or with the woman leader all of the rest of the family. So your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your fathers, your whatever it is. So they went and they asked them, hey, what's it like working for a woman leader in your family business? And it turns out that they think the same thing. They're like, hey, you know what? She works harder than all of us. She is underpaid. I get paid more than her and she does twice the work. They had kind of the same opinions. And also some weird stuff came out about how they have actually higher expectations. Well, she's, she's the oldest, so she takes care of everybody. And she's the one that's always been in charge. So of course we look to her to solve all the problems. Right. They're concerned about creating that balance in the world. Because if we're putting all this pressure on women, it's like Melissa Orr said in her book, Lean Out. There's lean in, she's mm-hmm. lean. And Marissa says, you know what? Not everybody wants to be the savior. Not everybody wants to be the manager people want women want to communicate they want to contribute and they want to be part of the world in a way that they feel comfortable with and not be forced into this bureaucracy hierarchy this world for lack of a better term that's not very inclusive so I'll leave it at that but if we're going to change the attitudes and we're going to change the way that the structures are inherently in our systems then it starts with acknowledging that we could do better and that's what w life serves to create is a foundational just hey we're all in this together and maybe we can do a little bit better and provide this group of amazing women that can get together monthly and talk about problems and issues and troubleshooting and getting access to resources and i am super proud to be a part of their advisory board and we're going to be starting up uh in 2020 just towards the end with our Steinbeck uh, seminar online, and then 2021 is when we're really going to be kicking stuff off. So it's very exciting.
1: I'm excited to learn more about that. As you probably have guessed, more than, I think it's 61% of the families that we serve at the center are partially or fully women-led family businesses. Um, Two that are not members of our center, but two family businesses that are famous that we've gotten to know at the center because they've participated in our family business hall of fame Our Jeannie bus owner of the current world yes. champion, Los Angeles Lakers plug for my favorite basketball team. In addition, <laughs> my Dodgers who are about to start the world series this week, as we talked about before and Lindsay Snyder of in and out. And these mm-hmm. are two brands that everybody here, especially in Southern California are very passionate and know about and uh, women led. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting what I'm hearing you say with Chrysalis and with uh W life is that I think I'm hearing you say, Heather, that you like to give voice to people who may not otherwise have a voice. And now I'm losing my voice. So Can you speak for me for a minute while I take a drink?
0: That's exactly right. Uh, As a women leader myself, um, I've experienced times where I I wasn't listened to. And it it just, it's so traumatizing when you feel like nobody is out there on your side and nobody should ever have to feel that. There, there are too many of us on this earth. There are too many of us in our town, our city, and we are all experiencing so many of the same things to ever feel alone. And it's my goal to help those folks get that voice, get that access, and 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 feel like they really are a part of things because they are. Yeah, they're out there. And
1: they you're just- doing, some, you're doing some amazing things. I love. I'm glad that we scheduled this time <laughs> together because I've gotten to know you. We've talked. We've emailed. We've been in touch for a few years, and and uh, I'm really, uh, I hate to say the word proud, because that sounds like I'm kind of being condescending, and I don't mean it that way at all. But I'm, I'm proud of our friendship, and I'm proud of what you're doing, and proud of what ThermalVac does. And, and every time I click my pen now, you hear it in the microphone there, I'm going to think of ThermalVac. And, I mean, I know you do more than springs and ballpoint pens. I get that. But it it is. I I have that sense of pride. I go, wow. You know that spring in the pen. Yeah, that, I got a client that that's what they do. You know, and mm-hmm. so I am just really honored that you took the time and are taking the time to chat with me and share your story with me a little bit, uh, because we're a university and because you went to Cal State and because in about an hour I've got the family business dynamics class that I'm co co leading with uh, with Tam Wyn. Mm-hmm. Here's the essay part of the of the of the test. Is there anything that we Maybe you shared it with me and I just forgot to bring it up or is there anything that, that um, is on your mind, other things that you're involved with that you wanna make sure our listeners and viewers know about before I ask my final question?
0: Those are the main two. And the other thing that I highly encourage is for young people to get involved in our industry. So if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have heard a lot of other um, episodes where it's very recognizable what the, the firm actually does. We are such a small niche industry. We struggle to get new talent. So our industry is aging out, and we're losing uh, amazing talent to retirement. So if you are at all interested in aerospace or uh, metallurgy, they don't even offer degrees in that. It's material science now. Um, If you are a, a younger person, whether you're in college or not, and you are interested in the industry, reach out to me. We need new blood. It's desperate. Otherwise, this industry will die out. And we're right on the edge of that new space race where space is sexy again and mm-hmm. one's doing his thing. And we need those young minds to get involved so that these uh, folks that have done the time, they are Apollo mission, they're you know veterans of, of space, so they can transfer what they've learned into these new minds that are just coming and have great, awesome, flexible ideas. So please... Uh, Feel free to to get involved with our industry. Um, heat treating and brazing is a very specialty. Uh, some people call art because the, the science behind it is uh, it's not in the books. You have to you have to learn from doing. So that would be the only thing that I would add. And CSUF has a great program for other engineering. So go CSUF and
1: awesome. <laughs> I, 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 I hear you offering. I'm going to make the offer for you that mentoring is a big part of what you do with yes. people internal in your organization, obviously. And uh, mm-hmm. what I'm hearing Heather offer here, folks, is an opportunity to be mentored by someone who's been there, done that, and is currently doing it. Be prepared, she's very type A, which means you're gonna be busting your butt if you are mentored by, by Heather. So on mentoring, let me ask you my second to last question. I, I, I lied, I thought of this question as you were talking. Is there a mentor or somebody out there that you, I know you've talked about a few people that have been an influence on you, uh, mm-hmm. inside and outside of the family as I just ask you to think about you know, a mentor in your life, who comes to mind, or you don't have to name a name, but what is it about that person? And you can name, obviously, if you'd like.
0: So I think it's uh, extremely important for folks in our positions uh, in leadership, whether it's a family business or not, to surround themselves with good people that will call them on their BS. Hmm. So I surround myself with a, a bunch of folks that know way more than I do. Um, Barry Carrion, who is a, a consultant that has worked with me as a business coach for years and years, and has worked with our family um she embodies strength uh she's a cancer survivor she's a family business owner and founder um she makes sure that i am in this for the right reasons and that's a great thing for a mentor to do is to call you on the curb and be like why are you even doing this yeah remember why you know just like that simon Sinek. you know you know you start with why And she is one of those that uh, totally embodies the why and um, overall passion for uh, not just women leaders, but family business leaders as well. Uh, And I love her to death. And of course, I have to thank my father, who literally taught me everything that I know, Um, has invested his life, blood, sweat, tears into what I am today. And I cannot ever be grateful enough to show him how much I appreciate him. I love him. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice now. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, I, I hope to I hope to one day be able to show him how meaningful his life and legacy are, and uh, how much he has changed this world.
1: With He's a good man, and a little bit I've gotten to know your dad and, and your brothers too, and, and your dad, and the interaction I've had with him. I've been uh, I'm a better person for for getting that time with him, and just I remember the first time I sat down with you guys in your office, and we. we Spent time together and I think we went and had lunch together and it was just, uh, you know, I just felt like I was sitting at the feet of a master with what he does (laughs) and the type of person he is. And I, I, I admire anyone who has a vision and pursues it and goes after it, but I especially admire people who have faced and overcome challenges and not just overcome them and looked past them and moved on, but who have used those challenges to to groom them into the person they are. And I see that with you. I see that with your dad and uh, you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree on that, I suppose. So, you know, because of the podcast being called from the heart and you know, because you've listened to a handful of these or more and thank you for your support. I appreciate it. My final question to you. Yes. I was in Vietnam last year and we do it this way with the thumb and the the index finger instead of the, the whole hands, like you just did with the heart. Perfect. So my question to Heather Falcone is what's in your heart.
0: Gosh, I knew you were going to ask it and I still felt, I still feel unprepared.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's why I suppose
0: that's, I suppose that's the nature of the question, right? Um, In my heart is uh, gratitude. It's appreciation for every person that touches my life. It's um, thankfulness for being able to touch somebody else's life for the opportunity to be a part of somebody's life in a meaningful way. Um, It's awe of the human condition and um, that attitude of gratitude is where I live and that's where my heart needs to stay and and I'm going to say absolutely that's, that's where I'm living right now.